Well, today we're going to be uh, returning to a series that we revisit annually, pretty much. Um, and over the last few years, we've been doing that. And the series is an anchor in the storm. We keep returning to these series because uh, the storms keep on coming, don't they? And when we're in the midst of these uh, challenges or these periods of hardship, it can be really easy to think that we're all alone, that God is distant and that there's no place for our grief and our tears in the church. So over the next four weeks, we're going to be unpacking some of these storms, if I can use that term pretty loosely, um, and wrestling over wrestling with, sorry, how our faith can help us to weather those storms. Some weeks these topics uh, will hit very close to home for us. Other weeks they might seem a little bit irrelevant to you and where you're at right now. But all of them will help us to stay anchored in Jesus and, as we are tossed about by these different storms, to understand each other's experiences and struggles so we can support and love one another better as well. Today we're going to be focusing on the topic of anxiety and by way of introduction to this topic I just wanted to share a little bit about some reflections uh, that I've uh, been having as I've, I've been doing a course in mental health over the last year and recently uh, wrote an essay and got to think a little bit more about anxiety and depression uh, and particularly how the Bible speaks into those experiences. Uh, today I'm going to focus though just on anxiety. One of the wonderful promises that is held out for us in the gospel is the promise of peace that comes with faith. If we dive into John's gospel in chapter 14, we get to eavesdrop on Jesus' final teaching to his disciples before he heads to the cross. You can just imagine the fear and the uncertainty facing this group of men. Jesus has been talking about his death, he's been talking about leaving, and they, they just can't understand what he's going on about. And really, they don't want to understand it either. For three years, they've been following this miracle-working, powerful teaching, promise-making rabbi, and now he's saying he's going to abandon them. He's going to leave them. What, what next? What is this going to mean for this group of people? What happens when he's gone? What about all the promises he's made to them about God's kingdom coming? Where have they gone but this is what he tells them in uh, John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus promises his disciples the kind of peace that the world is never going to be able to give them. Those who put their faith in him don't need to be worried or stressed because he, they can trust him. They don't need to fear him leaving because he's going to leave them with this great gift of peace through the Holy Spirit. Now, for some of us, the reminder of that promise might be a really great encouragement, a beautiful reminder of the peace that we do feel like we have in Jesus. For some of us, it might come as a rebuke as we're reminded that our hearts and minds are actually consumed with worry and stress and we're not going to Jesus and seeking that peace. But what about for someone who's experiencing clinical anxiety, who every day or, or most days are characterised by that suffocating feeling of fear and nervousness? 
Does this mean that their faith is weak? Does it mean that they're disobedient or sinful? I mean, after all, the Bible says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. So, is someone who has anxiety just, do they just need to pray more? Do they just need to be more grateful for what Jesus has given them? (laughs) Hopefully that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. (laughs) As we think about anxiety today, I do want us to separate out a little bit um, clinical anxiety from the regular experience of daily worry and stress. Our bodies are built to respond to stress in certain situations, right? It's a survival instinct. It helps us to run faster when something that wants to eat us is pursuing us. It helps us to stay alert when we're walking down that dark street at night. Our brain is telling our body, we're in danger, be ready. And that's, it's helpful because we, we need to be able to survive in those situations. One helpful way I've heard clinical anxiety described is a malfunction of that communication between the brain and the body. So the brain is under the impression that there are constant threats present when there is no threat at all. And so it keeps the body on high alert at all times, ready for threat, or in particular situations that it thinks are causing stress. So the heart races, your breath quickens, your chest constricts, and all those feelings that you get, you know, just before you get a needle, or you have to stand up the front and speak to a group of people, or you're about to enter into a confrontation with someone, those, those moments leading up to it, you can, someone with anxiety can feel like that all the time. And it keeps on going and going and going. All of us experience measures of stress and worry in our everyday lives. But for the person with clinical anxiety, it's chronic and it's exhausting. It might be tied to certain situations like facing social gatherings or driving, or it might just be this general ongoing condition that's connected to nothing in particular at all. This is not a sin, it's an illness. Now, mental illness is not something that was really recognised or categorised in the time when the Bible was written. So sometimes it can be tricky for us to know how to think about or talk about mental illness as Christians because we don't have verses that we can just jump to and apply straight to these situations. So we have to do a little bit more work sometimes to figure out how, how we approach mental illness and how we think through it as followers of Jesus. But I think when we look at how Jesus approached those who were sick and suffering, it becomes pretty clear how he would approach someone with anxiety. One story uh, that I go back to all the time in all different kinds of situations is the story of the bleeding woman in Mark chapter 5. Because for me, it just shows the heart of Jesus so clearly. Jesus is rushing through a crowd. He's following a synagogue leader, Jairus, a really important man, and and there's urgency. His daughter is dying. They need to get to her now so Jesus can save her. As he pushes through the press, the press of people, he feels power go out of him and he stops. Who touched me? Not only does this seem like a ridiculous question, but it's the worst time to be stopping and asking it. And his disciples panic. You're in a crowd. There's people everywhere. Everyone is touching you. Get over it. Let's keep going. 
but he won't budge until finally this woman comes forward and falls in the dirt at his feet, trembling with fear. She is unclean, so she's not allowed to touch anybody. For 12 years, she has been bleeding. I just spent seven days in isolation without seeing anyone. (laughs) Imagine not being able to touch anyone for 12 years. No doctor was able to heal her. She's not allowed in the temple, so she's not allowed to be participating in her relationship with God. She's run out of money. She's run out of hope. And she's terrified to speak to Jesus. But she knew if she could just touch the edge of his cloak, he could heal her. And this is what Jesus says to her in Mark chapter 5, verse 33. 34, sorry. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Here is a woman who is trembling with fear, who's cast out from society, who's lying in the dirt in front of Jesus. And what does he do? He calls her daughter and he offers her peace. He frees her from her suffering. Is it reasonable then to turn to someone with anxiety and think that the same man who did this would rebuke them, that he would call out their fear and their worry as sin and faithlessness? Or is it more likely that he would open his arms and he would say, you can rest here? Jesus doesn't command peace, he offers it. Can we worry in a way that shows that we don't trust God? Yeah, we can. But the peace that Jesus offers isn't just some kind of haze of zen that we carry around with us that means that we're unaffected by the stresses and worries in the world. It's the certainty that we can come to Jesus and we can stop. We can breathe. There's no demand. There's an invitation. Come to me when you are feeling weak, when your burdens are too heavy to bear, and rest. With Jesus, there are no demands because there's nothing that we can offer him. You don't need to have the words because the Holy Spirit can intercede as we're groaning under that burden. So in some ways, separating out general worry and fear and clinical anxiety is unnecessary, right? Because if you're feeling overwhelmed with stress and worry, then this offer from Jesus is just as much for someone who's going through that as someone who's experiencing clinical anxiety. Jesus doesn't discriminate between the medical diagnoses of people who are coming to him in pain and asking for relief. But for the person with clinical anxiety, there is, uh, this is an invitation that is going to be needed, so that they're going to need to take up daily or hourly or sometimes even minutely. <laughs> there is hope from relief for this anxiety And there is comfort and rest to be found in Jesus' arms. It's not a battle that's going to be conquered in the length of a prayer, not because someone with anxiety is sinful or is lacking in faith, but because the journey through clinical anxiety is often long and winding. Uh, We're going to open God's Word together now, and we're going to keep thinking about anxiety and how we respond to that as followers of Jesus. Uh, Roberta's going to come and read the Bible for us.
Thanks, Joss. Um, our, our sermon Bible, uh, Bible reading today is from Matthew chapter 6, uh, starting at verse 25. And if you're reading along in the church Bibles, it's on page um, 1509. So Matthew 6, 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, which will he not much more clothe you, you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Roberta and Jocelyn, for that very helpful intro. Um, Let's pray together, friends, and keep that passage open, and we'll think about this topic together. Our Father, we thank you for your word, the Bible, and its honesty and its clarity on issues that are real and speak to real life in your world. May we know today that you are our loving Heavenly Father who cares for us. Please help us today as we think about anxiety, that we might be a people who are committed and equipped to care for one another, as well as Christians who are confident to persevere in trusting you even through distress and fear and uncertainty. Please be especially close to anyone struggling today, that they may know your love and be anchored by the hope that we have in Jesus. We pray this for his sake. Amen. Well, one writer has said that it's the dishonest Christian who pretends that there's no anxiety in life, It's the dishonest Christian who pretends there is no anxiety in life. The paragraph that Roberta just read for us finishes with Jesus saying, after sharing some of the most encouraging words you'll ever hear, he finishes with the recognition, each day has enough trouble of its own. Each day has trouble. There will be things to worry about tomorrow. The reason the Bible talks about being anxious and worrying is because God knows that there will be things to worry about tomorrow. Being anxious about something, as Jocelyn has already said, can be helpful in the right circumstance and the right quantity. But when we think about anxiety, we're often thinking about the the unhelpful quantity at the unhelpful time about unhelpful things. And so Arch Hart, the um, Christian psychologist, talks about anxiety from a medical point of view 
in these ways. He says, our brain is full of these neurotransmitters, these messengers. They help us remember, keep awake and keep us sane. But when our brain is robbed of happy messengers, as when stress is too high and prolonged, it, can, it cannot function properly. Anxiety is then the smoke alarm, alerting us to the chaos. And this process is all a very intelligent design of a master creator. Jocelyn's already talked about that smoke alarm kind of anxiety that's going off at the wrong times, in the wrong quantity, to, in the direction of the wrong things. And for some of us, our anxiety is like that. The World Health Organization, just about every agency who's tracking these things, has noticed that over the course of the pandemic in the last two years, clinical anxiety has gone up by 25%. Which means that if it was one in four Australians before the pandemic, maybe we're at one in three Australians who will experience some kind of anxiety disorder in their lifetime. Which means that if it's not you, it's someone sitting close to you. If it's not you now, it might be you in the future. Which is why we want to be a church that keeps talking about these things. So that people know when they do experience it, or if they are experiencing it, they're in a place where people will listen, people will understand, and people will walk alongside. Many of us in the clinical anxiety category need to talk to our GPs. Many of us already have mental health plans that enable us to take helpful next steps for counselling or care. But as Christians, we also want to say we want better habits of meditating on God's Word, better patterns of prayer and accountability that work alongside the clinical interventions of anxiety so that we can pastorally care for one another as well as hold on to and grow in our faith even through periods of anxiety. That's my focus for you today, you'll be happy to know that I'm not speaking to you as a clinician. I'm not seeking to provide medical advice. What I'm seeking to provide is what the Bible says and some anchors for us in the midst of the storm, particularly through the gospel of the Lord Jesus and his promises held out to us in the Bible. The reason that the Bible talks so much about being anxious and worrying is because God knows where we live. God knows how we think. God knows what is going on for us and he loves us. The reason God tells you not to be anxious isn't because he doesn't get it. The reason that God tells you not to be anxious isn't because he's seeking to dismiss it and sweep it under the carpet, but because he is your loving Heavenly Father whose shoulders are infinitely broader than yours and who wants you to cast all your anxiety upon him. That's what we need to hear when Jesus says, do not be anxious. Jocelyn's already helpfully given us that picture of Jesus' heart as he stops to address the bleeding woman in the midst of chaos, in the midst of pressure, in the midst of a, a very fast-paced walk towards Jairus' house, he stops... And when Jesus addresses issues like anxiety, we need to hear him with that compassion and that love and that desire that he has 
to come close and to say to you, my burden is light. Come and find rest for your weary soul, your anxious soul. That's what we want to hear from Jesus today. And just as an aside, that's what we want to see in Jesus as we seek to be the kind of friends or spouse or co-worker or housemate seeking to care for someone with anxiety. We want to hear the same kind of heart of Jesus that we might be able to help them in the same kind of way. So as we reflect on Matthew 6 together, this is what I want us to see, that we can meet anxiety with a different pace, slowing down to notice sovereign grace. We can meet anxiety with a different perspective. We may not know what the future holds, but we know the one who holds the future. And we can meet anxiety with a different priority, seeking first his kingdom and righteousness. Firstly then, a different pace, slowing down to notice sovereign grace. Have a look at verse 25 with me where Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And notice that after that, Jesus doesn't just skip to the theological conclusion. He doesn't say, there you go, dummies. Now get on with it. He causes his disciples to stop and to look and to listen. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more, much more valuable than they? Verse 28, why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field, how they grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, tomorrow is thrown to the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Jesus puts his finger on what modern psychology has been recommending for years as well. That in the midst of anxiety, you should stop. Slow down. Slow your breathing. Notice what's around you. Look at the birds of the air. Look at the trees and the flowers. What colours do you see? How are they moving? What patterns of light and shade? Can you feel the air reach every part of your lungs as you breathe it in and slowly let it out? Jesus takes us there to slow us down. Look at the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. But he takes us beyond just the physical world, doesn't he? He points us to... to them as evidence of God's sovereign grace. Notice that God's sovereign grace is all around you. He provides for his world, the world that he made. And if he's woven beauty and wisdom and simplicity into nature, how much more is he dependable for you in the midst of the chaos and anxiety of your world? See how God cares for the birds of the air, Jesus says, with no infrastructure 
and no help? Well, if God cares for them, how much more does he care for you? You are made in his image, redeemed by his son. Jesus came to die for you, not the birds of the air or the trees of the field. So when you see the birds, when you look at the flowers, when you experience the light and the rain and the air and the scenery of God's beautiful world, don't just stop and enjoy, but give thanks to God. Because all of that is evidence that you are loved, that you are valuable that you are precious in his sight. Jesus gives us a different pace. Slow down. Step outside. Take a breath. And notice God's sovereign grace in salvation and in creation. Number two, Jesus gives us, meets our anxiety with a different perspective. Because Jesus doesn't just leave it at that as if our anxiety is simply a momentary thing that needs momentary relief. He points us to a different perspective, an eternal perspective. So often in the midst of anxiety, it's because we're, we have lost control or, we're, um, uh, or we have a lot of uncertainty, right? And Jesus meets us with the perspective of God's sovereignty and God's eternal kingdom. My old boss used to say to me regularly, we may not know what the future holds, but we know the one who holds the future. Try these scenarios on for dealing with anxiety. I knew the exam would be hard, but I worried enough and that got me through. Or what about this one? I, I managed to be anxious the whole flight and so the plane didn't crash. The doctor was unsure what it was and so he prescribed me some worry and now I feel better. Seems silly, doesn't it? We know that worry and anxiety doesn't achieve very much. <laughs> that worrying about something doesn't solve it. And that's not to dismiss the feelings or to suggest but to suggest that we need strategies to be able to go to Jesus in the midst of our anxiety, knowing that our life is in his hands. He doesn't point to the birds of the air and the flowers of the field in order to say, see, you're fine, you're in control. He points to the flowers of the field and the birds of the air to say, don't worry, I'm in control. One writer has said that anxiety is so often triggered when we sense a threat to something that we hold as significant. It may be someone you love, it could be your reputation, it could be your sense of security, it could be an unknown future, it could be your comfort or success or even the loss of a material possession. And we are anxious at that when we see those things that are threatened. As Jesus points us to how we can, as Jesus confronts us in our anxiety, he talks about the fact that we do not need to worry because our lives are in God's hands. 
and his kingdom is eternal. His perspective is eternal, which means that we can trust him in the midst of uncertain circumstances and cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us. He gives us an eternal perspective. Have a look at verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? (coughs) For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. See, if you don't know God, if you do not have hope, if you have not come to know the peace that passes understanding because of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus and the gift of his Spirit, then, the, then what you will eat and what you will drink and what you will wear is all that there is in this life. But Jesus says you don't need to run after these things and worry about these things and be anxious about these things, even when those things feel uncertain. That's the sort of uncertainty that pagans have who do not know our Heavenly Father. But your Heavenly Father knows what you need. And so you can come to him in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of the chaos and the swirling thoughts that will not land. And as Peter says in 1 Peter 5, you can cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That in the midst of the anxiety, uncertainty and chaos, we don't need to unload it in some indiscriminate direction. You don't need to chuck it into the deep blue sea on the emptiness of a tranquil mind. You can bring your anxiety to the shoulders of your heavenly Father. You can cast it upon Him, whose shoulders are broader than you could ever imagine and whose care for you is deeper than the ocean. Christian psychologist David Pallison said, God is patient because love is patient. Deep problems don't have quick solutions. And God is dealing with you with an eternal perspective. He is playing the long game and he's with you for the long haul. But I'm not telling you anything that you haven't heard before. I remember a few years ago, a friend came to my house late at night, usually a very calm, a very wise, a very knowledgeable person, much older than me. He came to me in the midst of distress and uncertainty and chaos. And as we sat in my study, I felt very ill-equipped. I feel like I'm sharing a lot of stories recently of me feeling very ill-equipped. It's a common feeling I have. I felt like I was saying to him very basic words about God's sovereignty, about trusting in Jesus, about relying on God's promises, feeling like, is this really what I need to say at this moment? And he helpfully spoke into what I was already thinking. He said, I know all this. I've heard what you're saying all before but I need you to keep saying it. He needed a voice outside the chaos of his own mind to keep speaking about the certainty and the stability of what he knew to be true in the gospel. 
when your anxiety is getting you nowhere and you're swirling around in the irrational and illogical conversations of your own monologue, sometimes you need a good friend to speak the simple, the rational and the trustworthy truths of the gospel to you. And we want to be the kind of church where people can talk about their irrational, illogical and swirling internal monologue and that each of us can speak the simple, trustworthy truths of the gospel to bring stability in the midst of chaos. I don't know if you remember, but I preached on this four years ago. I'm sure you've been thinking that already this morning. And at the time, four years ago, a friend from our church emailed me the week before the sermon, sharing their own experience of anxiety. This is what they wrote. My anxiety stripped back so much of my personality and strength that I was left feeling like a shell of my former self. But in that, I was really forced to cling to the truth of grace alone and the fact that my identity was in Christ, not in my interpersonal skills or what I gave people in relationships or my ability to work or perform. It was like hanging off a rock in the middle of a storm sometimes with the waves beating you and your fingernails bloody and torn, and your grip slipping and desperate, but the rock never moved. That was brought home to me in a new and painfully real way, because all the purchases I had for my own self-confidence and worth were stripped away, and all I had were the objective truths about Jesus to cling to, even when I didn't feel them. I was so often overwhelmed by my sinfulness, I saw very little good in myself, so I had to keep returning to Christ for any sense of hope or worth. That was something that was so good for my faith and my understanding of my status before God, covered by the blood of Jesus. And you know one of the great things of returning back to this topic four years later is being able to watch four years of growth, four years of of this person being sustained by the gospel of Jesus, this person seeing light and help with plenty of ups and downs. But it also gives cause to stop and give thanks. That as God plays the long game with us, we get to see the perspective of time. And what trusting Jesus in the long haul actually looks like. We can meet anxiety with a different perspective. We can also meet anxiety with a different priority. This is our final point. Because Jesus doesn't finish by just letting us off the hook and saying, don't worry about stuff, get over it. He gives us something positive to pursue. Don't concern yourself with your anxiety and your worry. He doesn't meet us saying you need to have an empty mind. He says, no, you need to fill your mind with this. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. That's what Jesus positively says to do with our anxiety. To seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, not because he wants to load us up with more things to do or more things to feel like you've failed to do, not because he wants us to feel even more insecure and inadequate, 
but because he knows his is the kingdom of peace. His is the kingdom of rest. His is the kingdom where he's in charge and we get to enjoy his goodness and grace forever. So seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness is not loading you up with more things that you can fail at, but with what he so perfectly has achieved and gifted you by his death and resurrection. He knows that in the pursuit of his kingdom and his righteousness there is freedom. There is freedom from worry and anxiety. There is freedom from pursuing your own kingdom of success and safety and self-sufficiency. There is freedom in the kingdom of the one and only Saviour. Our same friend says that anxiety can make it hard to pray, hard to read your Bible, hard to sit through a sermon, hard to come to church or growth group, but it doesn't make you any less of a Christian. We want to keep struggling and battling to engage with God, His Word and His people and knowing that when we can't, we're not a failure. We had a little discussion last night about this in the hall and one of our friends said it can be so hard to come to church when you're anxious. It can be so hard to come to church when you're anxious. And there may be weeks where you don't walk through those doors at all but you still belong. And we also want to be the kind of place where you can't, where if, if you can't articulate your prayers, if you can't read your Bible, if you can't walk through those doors, that there will be friends and family here who will pray for you, who will remind you of God's word and his promises that will keep speaking the gospel of hope to one another, who will follow us up and stay close. The great challenge of faith in the midst of anxiety is to not let your anxiety keep you from the peace that passes all understanding. But rather in everything, by prayer and petition, bringing it all to God, even with thanksgiving, slowing down, paying attention to grace, giving, being reminded of Jesus' perspective on your life and eternity and pursuing the priority when everything seems fragile and chaotic to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. one particular friend here at church and she and I regularly send each other prayers from a pastor in America named Scotty Smith. I've prayed a number of his prayers before. One of the reasons I like to pray other people's prayers that are written down for me is that it can be hard when you're feeling that, when you're feeling chaotic and your brain is swirling where you can't land to have someone land for you. So I'm going to ask you to stop and pause and to close your eyes and to pay attention to your breath and listen to these words as we pray together. Let's pray. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, 
with thanksgiving present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Dear Jesus, I've memorised that scripture. I've taught it and preached it and prayed it for many friends going through very difficult seasons of life. Today, however, is a day I humble myself before you and surrender to these commands and promises for myself. It's not the first time and it won't be the last. Jesus, I am anxious, so I need your grace to even obey this command. I know you're not mocking my sensibilities and emotions. You're way too compassionate to do that. I know you're not asking me to be a stoic, for you are gentle and humble of heart. I know you're not asking me to pretend and pose, for knowing you is the end of all such nonsense and non-reality. But clearly you're warning me about the peril of staying stuck and turning inward with my shock and concerns and worries. And so by faith I'm getting up. I'm coming to you today, bringing my earnest prayers and impassioned petitions with me. Jesus, Jesus, it is you who turned the chaos of an unformed world into the magnificent cosmos of creation. Therefore, most certainly, you can enter the chaos swirling all around me and in me and bring order and beauty. I don't know how you do it, I simply know that I cannot do it. For the things that deeply grieve me, bring your tear-wiping hand. For the things that greatly offend me, keep me from a critical and selfish spirit. For the things that profoundly confuse me, grant me the perspective of heaven and gospel sanity. For the things over which I have no control, give me a fresh vision of the occupied throne of heaven. For the things I do have control over, grant me wisdom and strength to act accordingly. Please help me steward my anger, my sadness and my weariness, all to your glory. I don't want to waste this moment or these feelings. And now my thanksgiving. Jesus, I have no reason to doubt either your mercy or your might. You gave your life for us upon the cross. You have risen to make all things new. You are unremittingly advocating and praying for us. No one loves us more than you do. I have seen you do astonishing things before. Please do astonishing things again. Send and set the transcendent peace of God as a sentinel in our hearts and minds. O loving King of glory and grace, guard and protect our hearts and minds from the lies of Satan, the whisperings of gossip, the unbelief and cynicism of our own hearts, which are ever stalking in these seasons of stress. So very amen, we pray, with hunger and with hope, in your most blessed name. Amen.